Hey, good morning, everybody. It is so good to have each and every one of you here this morning, um, and it is so good to be here. My name is Joel. It is a pleasure to be speaking with you this morning, and also a pleasure to be here as we open up this, uh, this new series called Crazy Faith. Um, today, is a, today is a great day in my life, um, and by a great day in my life, uh, I, I mean this. I'm trying to figure out how to say this well. Um, but today, uh, 24 years of marriage today. Seven different women. Can't call me a quitter. Thank you, Tim Hawkins. Anyway, there, there you go. There you go. Actually, no. Um, uh, thanks to my wife. Uh, I, I got to tell you this. Um, one of the things that I was thinking this morning is I must be a pleasure to live with because my wife still looks just as young. Yeah, they, yeah, there you go, guys. Use that line. That's a good one, right? That, um, I'll just tell you this. I, I just received a text this morning from one of my friends that this one's a little more true. Happy anniversary, Joel. 24 years is a very long time, especially for Deb. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's Goldie, Deb. That's, that's my friend. I appreciate him a lot. But anyway, hey, it is great to be here. And we're going to talk about this idea of crazy faith. And one of the things is crazy faith, uh, when it comes to marriage, when you, you start out and when you first get married, when you're thinking about that very idea of getting married, you're there like for life. And part of you is saying, what could be better than being with this person for life? And then there's another part of you that you're fearful, right? And you walk into it and that's, and, and for part of you, you may be thinking, this is crazy crazy that we're going to be together that long. And it's crazy to imagine that it's been 24 years, right? Time goes by so very quickly. But this morning, as we start this new series called Crazy Faith, I want to challenge each one of us in here. What is it that we are stepping out in faith and following God in? All right. Um, what is it? What area of your life is it that you are willing to have faith and trust God in your life. For some of you, it was that step of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it was there like, I don't, God seems to be doing something in my life, and I know that I believe in this, uh, in this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins. And that was a step of faith in your life. And it didn't mean that everything from that day forward would go well for you. It didn't mean that everything, oh, it's all roses, it's all amusement parks, it's all fun, it's all Phillies wins. All right? Definitely not. All right? But what it does mean in your life is that you have a Savior who is there walking with you. Sometimes in Christianity, we get this idea that it means that life is going to go well. That was never the case for the New Testament Christians, right? They, they struggled, but they had faith in something that was greater than them. Faith in a God who had sent his son to die for the sins of the world. Give me faith as we sing that this morning. Lord, give me faith. Well, maybe that's where you're at this morning. And maybe for some of us here, we are still wondering, is this whole idea of faith real? Is this whole idea of faith in Christ real? Hopefully this morning, as we take a look at a passage of Scripture and then walk through some of these ideas of faith, because you see, we, we, have, a, we, ha, we have a book, we, we call it our Bible, it, it's the Word of God um, that is full of faith of individuals and also full of individuals who at times stumble, fail, blow it big time in their faith. Do you know what? That's sometimes us, right? 
some of us right here, right? Sometimes we have really big faith and sometimes we have really small faith. Sometimes we do really well and we're flying high and sometimes we stumble and we trip with just the smallest, just the lightest of, thing, of things. So where, what is it in our faith? I would imagine that each one of you could look at somebody in your life or you're aware of somebody in your life that you're like, wow, that individual has strong faith. Look at what they go through. You see them go through a difficult time, a very difficult struggle in life, and yet they still maintain their faith in God. And sometimes we scratch our heads and we wonder, how how do they do that? For other times, it may be, wow, would my faith be the same if I were walking through what they are going through? But there are individuals in your life that you can look around at and say, wow, they have faith. I want to talk this morning. I want to look at a passage as we, as we talk about faith, and you're going to know the answer to this right away. But Jesus, all right, there was something that amazed Jesus. In our Gospels, two things amazed Jesus. Uh, there's, only, there's only two times where we're told that this amazed, that Jesus was amazed by what he saw. And we're going to take a look, we're going to walk right through one of these passages in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to take a look at what that is. And then we're going to take a look just in a little bit of a story and a few of the verses in another passage where Jesus was amazed. And right here in Luke chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Luke writes a detailed account for us. Luke, in his gospel, he wanted to write a detailed account of what Jesus had done. You see, Jesus had been on this earth, and Luke had been hearing a lot of things about Jesus. And he tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he went back and he wanted to write a detailed account. He researched, he interviewed with people that were there. And when Luke includes this story this morning that we're going to look at, he uses the word to describe, that word to describe it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. So what was the this that he heard? And we're going to start with Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Because this is going to give us the details of what the this is. All right? And, and you already know what this, this is because you listened to me with my star here. But let's take a look and see what the this is as we go through this. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. So Jesus had just finished speaking. He enters Capernaum. And there is a, there, in this place there, there was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly. And that servant was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus. You see, the centurion had heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him. They came to Jesus. They pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because, I, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So the Jews are looking and they're saying, This guy, this Roman centurion, he's different than the other Roman centurions. He is a person who has been good to our people. He has helped build the synagogue, right? He has been great to our nation, and we love him. He deserves to have you do this. So Jesus, all right, so Jesus continues on, and he went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. But say the word, and my servant 
will be healed. You see, the centurion understands something about Jesus. And when he makes this statement right here, he says to him, all you have to do is speak, and I know that this will happen. Now, for you and I, if you have grown up in church, if you've grown up with the Gospels, if you've grown up in any semblance of hearing the Gospels, this isn't new to us, right? Yeah, we understand this. We understand Jesus was able to heal just with a snap of the fingers, heck, just with looking, just with calling out to people, just saying, be healed. Um, Jesus was able to do all of that. So to us, this isn't anything amazing because we've grown up, if you've grown up in church, listening to this. However, if we can put ourselves back in this first century time frame, and if we can recall sicknesses that led to death, there wasn't a whole lot of medicine there to help them. And suddenly, this centurion has a faith, all right, that is going to say, Jesus, I know you can do this. But not only did he know that he could do it, he knew why he could do it. And he continued on, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. Say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, the Roman centurion understood that there was something about the power of Jesus Christ, that he had power, and that there were things that were subservient to him. And all he needed to do was speak and say, this would, was necessary to happen. This needed to happen. And it would happen. It would be so. So as he says that, he's given insight into, listen, I'm a man that has authority. I have some authority. I know how this works. And I understand that you have authority over life, over, and I know that you can do this, which takes us back to that verse that we started with. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. You see, when Jesus heard what the what this centurion was able to say, what the centurion was able to believe about him, he was amazed. And he continues on in that verse, and he says this at that. He was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him. So he turns to Jesus, to those that have been following him, to those that are with him, and he says to them, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The ones that he had come to, the ones that he had come to as the Savior, all right, as the Messiah. He had not found that great of faith even among them. Where were they? Where was their faith? How come it's a Roman centurion that says, look, I understand how this works. I understand how you work. And all I, I know, all you need to do is say the word and my servant can be healed. I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof, but I know that you can do it. What amazed Jesus this man's faith. Isn't it interesting that it wasn't his teaching? What amazed Jesus was this centurion had great teaching. Boy, he was a great teacher, and the people really listened to him. It wasn't, oh, he had great wealth. Oh, oh, he built the synagogue? Oh, that amazes me. It's wonderful that he helped build the synagogue for all of you. It wasn't his great doctrine that amazed him. It wasn't the great power that he had that amazed him, but rather it was the faith that he had in Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we become amazed with the wrong things. We can easily become amazed with people who are so mesmerizing, such a charismatic character, such a charismatic figure. Oh, they're so wise, they're so smart. Nothing wrong with any of that. 
But Jesus looked, and he's like, I'm amazed at your faith. You see, faith is confidence in God, in who God is. In your life and in my life, do we have faith? Do we have confidence in who God is? Confidence in God. It's another one that's hard to live. It's very easy to use those words and say, yes, I have faith in God. And for many of us, we put our faith and trust in God to save us from eternal death, from eternal damnation, and yet we never let that faith grow. We never exercise that faith that God came, that, we, that Jesus came, that we may have life and that we may have it to the full. If we will live in faith of who God says he is, confidence in who God is, our lives can be different. Our lives can be remade. But it means that we have to live with that faith in God. And that's sometimes difficult. It's easy to sing, I will walk by faith. It's sometimes a lot harder to actually live that, right? Some of you, you have stories of where you stepped out in faith. You stepped out in faith and started to follow God. And what did you do? You just, you just gave him a little bit. But you realized he could be trusted with just that little bit. And you followed God with that. And you gave him more and you started to follow him more and more and more in your life. And we realized that our God is worthy of being trusted. He is worthy of our faith. The, book of, the writer of Hebrews says it this way, what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. What does it mean in our lives? You see, when it means that I have faith, it means that I trust something that I can't necessarily see. One of the things that the centurion here in, this, in, this, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke that Luke writes about is he made Jesus the object of his faith. You see, sometimes we may hope that we just, I, I hope beyond hope that this will happen, but I have no reason, I have no object of believing that it will happen. Um, I, I was, I think I was talking, oh, I know this, I'm trying to think when, but I was talking to Deb this week as we drive by and we see the um, Mega Millions and Powerball. Mega Millions was 500 and some odd million and Powerball 200 and some odd million or something like that, right, this week. And, and you see those numbers up there. Um, I hope that I would win that. Now, I didn't buy a ticket, but even had I bought a ticket, my chances of winning would have been very slim, right? Now, I could have hoped that I would have won that, but that hope had no basis for anything. You see, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a hope that is based. It takes courage in your life, in my life, to walk in faith knowing that the object of our faith, the object of our hope in Christianity is founded in something that is certain, and that was Jesus Christ. And that was why Luke wrote about it in his gospel, because he wanted us to know that there is a, that there is a rock, that there is something that you can set your faith on, not just faith in faith. You see, when we pray for somebody, when you say you will pray for somebody, we are praying for them. Why are we praying for them? Because we believe that we have a God who is able to respond. Sometimes you may hear that people are, I'm going to offer you good thoughts. That's nice. I appreciate good thoughts. 
but good thoughts aren't based in anything. It's nice of you to think well of us. Don't get me wrong with that. Excuse me. It it is nice of us to to think that, but, but my good thoughts don't do anything for you except express my kindness towards you. When I pray for you, the results may not always be what I want, but there is a faith because there is a rock. There is an object of that faith, and it is our God. And Jesus Christ came to earth so that we could see, so that we could know, right? He told his disciples, you believe in God? Yeah, we believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because he was saying, guess what? I am God. That is what he was letting his disciples know. He wanted them to know that. So that when the writer of Hebrews says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, it was confidence in the very God. And then he goes on in this passage and he goes on and talks, tells the story about Old Testament individuals who did crazy things because they had crazy faith. Think about building a boat big enough to take the uh, zoo with you. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. It's going to what? It's going to rain. Yeah, it hadn't rained yet. Well, it's going to rain, and the earth's going to flood. The earth's going to what? The earth's going to flood. Really? What's that? Uh, there's going to be a flood over the entire earth. Start building a boat. How long is it going to take me to build this boat? A hundred years. Hang on, I got to build a yacht, and I'm not going to get to enjoy it until I'm a hundred years old? How's this work? All right? You talk about crazy, that's crazy. Think about this. Individuals, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're called to bow and worship another god. Uh, We can bow just so that we fit in with everybody else. Let's just bow and let's just do this. You know what? No, we're not going to do that. You know what, Nebuchadnezzar? You can throw us into the fire, but we believe that our God, he is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we still believe that he could if he had wanted to. We're not going to bow. That's crazy faith. You see, when I see a fire, I'm not jumping into it, nor am I offering to allow you to throw me in. We'll follow God. You see, scripture is full of individuals that had faith that was crazy faith. Um, I don't know how many of you in here like golf. Um, I occasionally watch golf. I do not play golf often, and I am not very good at golf. But I, I, was, watching, um, I was watching golf yesterday, and there is a certain golfer that I like. That he's a lefty. I'm left-handed as well. And, and I was watching this. Um, take a look at this picture right here. Um, it, it's not the best picture because I was just trying to grab it yesterday. But hopefully you can get the idea of faith from what I am talking about right here. I want you to notice there is a little projectile here. If you're not familiar with golf, that's a golf ball. All right? A golf ball is a rather hard object. As a matter of fact, if I took and threw the golf ball at you right now, you would say you're a real jerk. You're going to say, wow, that was really nice of you to throw that golf ball at me. Now, I want you to know when he swings this club, this golf ball, this little projectile here is going to come flying out of there at 100 miles an hour, zero to 100, and about like that. This cart path probably isn't six feet wide, and you've got these guys right here on their knees. I don't know how well you're looking at that, but he's hitting from right there. They're sitting right there. People are on down here, and he's going to hit that ball up over into this area here. Anybody want to go golfing with me today? I want you to get a good picture of me right here in the front. Any volunteers? If you golf, you're aware you don't do that. You stay behind. Think about that. These guys have such confidence. They have such faith 
in this gentleman's ability to hit a golf ball that they're willing to stand six feet away from this object that's going to come flying out of there. Why? It's not that they're just stupid. They might be. That's possible. But they have confidence. They've watched professional golfers time and time again. And they're aware that when this man swings this golf club, he is going to do a pretty good job of putting that ball pretty much into a place where he wanted it to go. To me, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that even though it is Phil Mickelson swinging the golf ball. I'm going to stand back here, okay, where it's safe. And if you're golfing with me, I suggest you stand even further back to be a little more safe. You see, faith in everyday life, and that's, that's an aspect of faith in everyday life, but faith in our everyday walk with Jesus Christ is, is taking those opportunities where we know, you know what, this seems crazy. And the writer of Hebrews says those words. Now, faith is confidence, right? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It is us walking in that faith, saying, Lord, I will trust you because you are worthy of my trust. You have shown yourself to be worthy of my trust all of my life. And it doesn't always mean everything comes up roses for me, but it does mean that I have a God who is my friend, but it's greater than that. He is my heavenly father. There's something else that amazed Jesus. And this one's a story we're going to pick up and we're going to look at in Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, it, it starts like this, and it's talking about Jesus. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. Mark chapter 2 Jesus goes back to his hometown, and he starts preaching. Excuse me, Mark chapter 6. Thank you. Wow. I know my numbers. Math. There you go. Mark chapter 6, right? And, and right there, as, as we see this, he goes back, and he's preaching in his hometown. And when he goes back and preaches in his hometown, the people that heard him, they were amazed. Where did this man get this? Isn't this Jesus? You see, here, here he's back in his hometown. And then they're like, isn't, isn't he the carpenter? Isn't he married? Mary's son. We all know about Mary's son. We know about how that, yes, yeah, supposedly the immaculate conception, right? We're all, we all understand that idea, right? They, they're all, and, and aren't his brothers here with us? Aren't those his brothers, James, right? Um, aren't, aren't those his sisters with us as well? And you see, they started to wonder about this guy. Um, again, he's just one of us. There's nothing special about him. And Jesus went on to say that he went on to say that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, and he wasn't able to perform miracles there. He just healed a few things, but but he said, like, I, I can't do a whole lot here in my hometown. They don't have faith. And he goes on to say he was amazed in Mark chapter six, verse six. He was amazed, and what was he amazed at? He was amazed at their lack of faith. Two things. Amaze Jesus as we look at our Gospels. A Roman centurion who had faith and his hometown people 
who didn't have faith. The hometown group where he grew up who just wanted to look and say, eh, it's, that's just here to look at and see. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Has there, ever time, has there ever been a time in your life or my life where we look and we say, wow, I really lacked faith in what God was able to do. Somebody else had faith, and they were able to go through and do it. And myself, I sat back and uh, I didn't have faith. You see, faith is confidence in who God is. Faith is not a foundation, but rather faith is the foundation. Right? For by grace are you saved, what? Through faith. And not even that. That's not even of yourselves. Guess what? That faith, that faith that you have, that's a gift of God. Why does he go on to say that? Paul goes on to say there, there in Ephesians, he goes on to say, that, why? It's a gift of God so, so that you know that it's not of works. It's not of your works so that no one can boast. But think about this. James goes on to say it a little bit differently because James talks about your works. You say you have faith. For you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. You see, we say that we have this faith. And we say that we believe. James challenges us in our life. And remember, this is James, the brother of Jesus. Remember all the way back there in Mark where he's talking about no, nobody has faith. They, they didn't have faith in his hometown. James grew up. He saw that. And he went through. He, he's, remember, I've said this before. But if your brother, if you are willing to say your brother is your God, James said that, what must your brother have been? How many of you want to grow up with your older brother being God? You already grew up with the perfect child, right? And you're like, and they weren't even perfect. They just got away with things, right? This one really was. Jesus was the perfect child. And James says about, the, about this, you have faith. You believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons. Guess what? The demons believe. He goes on to say, how foolish, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is dead? Your faith and my faith. We must be willing to step out in faith and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And guess what? Sometimes it is going to be called crazy faith. Sometimes there are those that are going to look at you and say, that's absolutely crazy that you do that. He says that he will do. And I am going to follow him. Why? Because he has called me to follow him. Take a look at the definition of crazy. De definition of crazy is marked by thought or action that lacks reason. You see, to me, standing in front of somebody that's about to hit a golf ball, that little projectile, and hit it out there hard, that seems crazy. It seems without thought, without reason. You see, to some people, following a God that they cannot see, believing in a Jesus that died on a cross 2,000 years ago, seems foolish. It seems crazy. But it's marked by thought or action that lacks reason. Now, here's what our faith is, all right? Faith is trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. 
say today we cannot explicitly prove Jesus Christ. But Luke gave us a story saying, guess what? I went back and I researched. You see, their faith, the disciples' faith, it wasn't based on nothing. It was based on what they saw. Remember Jesus? After he had risen, he walks in with them. And, and at first, Thomas wasn't with him the first time, and Thomas doubted. He's like, unless I see him, unless I put my hands, my finger in the nail prints, all right? Unless I put, touch the side where, where the spear went into him, I won't believe. But a little bit later, Jesus shows up, and Thomas is with him. And when Thomas sees him, he says, my Lord and my Savior. He says, my God. He bows and he worships him. Why does he do that? Not because blind faith but because a few days earlier he had seen this man beaten, crucified, put on a cross, buried in a tomb, dead. People normally stay dead once they die. Jesus did not. And when Thomas saw it, his faith in him grew. And all of those men, all of those disciples who just a few days earlier had fled, they all had faith that they followed Christ to their death. That's amazing. Men who had zero faith suddenly turned like that. Why? Not because their faith was blind faith, but because they saw a risen Savior. They wrote about him. Our faith is based on a risen Savior. It is based on the eyewitness accounts of individuals who wrote it down, and we still have it. That thoughts and actions that may seem unreasonable, but trusting fully in what you cannot explicitly prove. We have that faith in our lives. You can have that faith in your life. Um, a faith formula, if you want to take a look at that. All right, intellectual agreement, for those of you that like math, right? Intellectual agreement. Get that intellectual agreement that we believe that there is a God, that we believe that there is a risen Savior, and we trust in that it equals faith. If this morning you walked in and you sat down in these chairs and all of a sudden five people around you, the chairs gave out and collapsed, suddenly every one of us would sit down a little more carefully, wouldn't we? Right? One happens, that's abnormal, but suddenly five, six, seven collapses, chairs just, suddenly we're looking around, who came in and doctored the chairs, who did what to them, and suddenly your faith that you didn't even think about sitting down in that chair this morning, all right, is suddenly shaking a little bit because you're like, what's going on? You're feeling the chair a little bit more. Am I going to sit in it? A number of years ago, um, we took a group of teens. Actually, we did this for, I believe, seven years in a row. There's a, there's a handful of people in here that went on these trips with me. Um, took a group of teens. We, we did it seven summers in a row down to the Bronx. And what we would go down to the Bronx with is we would go down there with the idea that we wanted to serve a group of people right in the Bronx. And I'll tell you, year number one, it took a little more faith for me because I was pretty nervous. When you take a group of teens into the Bronx, that's reason to be nervous, all right? You're wondering, is this the wisest thing to do? But we went down to the Bronx and we served at a church there. And one of the things we would do is we would have a cookout for the church um, so that they could invite the entire community around them in. And, and they would bring them in there. But each of the years that we went, seven, uh, seven years in a row, we would end our trip, we would end our trip like this on Sunday afternoon. We would go down to a church that was called the Brooklyn Tab, Brooklyn Tabernacle. Many of you probably heard of it, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir at least. Jim Simbla is the pastor there, and he's been the pastor there for, 
I think, since the creation of the world. Um, he's been a pastor there for about 40 years, in that range there, the early 70s. But he started that church. It started as just a very small church. I think, I think it's even 10 people in that range there. And he was just invited to come and start speaking, and he started speaking at this church. And suddenly he started to have his faith built. He wrote a book about it. He's written a couple of books about it, actually. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire back in the 90s, and then Fresh Faith, Fresh, fresh faith as well. And he grew a church in an area right with people off the streets of Brooklyn just coming in there. But it started as just a small, small ministry where he didn't know where they, how they would pay the rent from week to week many times. But he changed the lives of individuals. He changed the hearts of individuals. He changed the hearts of the people there that he was called to minister to. And he says these words in fresh faith. We like to control the map of our life. Is that any of you here? Right? We like to control the map of our life and know everything well in advance. But faith is content just knowing that God's promise cannot fail in your life and in my life are there places where we need to be willing to take that step forward knowing that God's plan cannot fail I want to encourage you to come back and be a part of this series crazy the of our faith we believe that there is a God who is greater than we are. We, are a, we believe that there is a God who can see what we cannot see. And we believe that there is a God who can lead us where we would never go on our own, but to greater and better things than, he, than we would ever be aware of if we just went on our own strength. You see, we like to have it mapped out. We like to have the detail. We like to know. I like to know that I have enough money in the bank to do that. I like to know what's going to happen tomorrow. And sometimes God calls us to have faith in him for today and follow me. That's what he says. Come over the next few weeks. May your faith grow to be a crazy faith in following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, I do, uh, I do ask, Lord, that you would be with each one that is here, that you would bless, that you would encourage them. Lord, for some of us, we, we need to have our faith strengthened because God, we, but we don't want to follow you in faith in living this life. We, we want to determine that ourselves. Lord, give us faith where we are weak. For others, Lord, there are some here this morning that may not have put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would be calling them unto yourself. 
And I would say if that describes one of you this morning, that you have not put your faith and trust in God, I would ask you to come and catch myself after the service this morning. Talk to who brought you this morning. Ask them if they would pray with you, if they would explain more about this faith that they have in God. Catch Aaron or one of the people up front. Ask them to share their faith with you. But do not leave if you need to have your faith placed in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I say thank you for each of these people that are here this morning. I pray your blessing in their life, Lord. Why? Because you are a great and mighty God. I pray that you would expand our faith. And Lord, may we realize that you are worthy of our faith. You are worthy of us following you. Lord, I pray that you might bless and encourage, that you may do abundantly more than we can even imagine, Lord, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.